Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty and I'm presenting Talking Design at RMIT University in Melbourne and I'm with Amy Muir um, from Muir Mendes Architects and thanks for coming in Amy. Oh, thanks Stephen. Look, a lot of houses I see are very much the glass box and I'm meant to walk in and go, oh that's amazing. Well, you know, I think after you've seen 30 or 40 glass box extensions, you start to think, you know, is there anything more to architecture? Well, anyway, this year I discovered a wonderful house in South Melbourne by Amy and her partner, life and business partner, uh, Bruno, and they created this gorgeous, look, extraordinary house that uh, recently won an architecture award for the um, in the category of new residential at the Victorian Chapter Awards. It's quite an interesting house. It's all black from the street, just to tell you something about it. Um, but the other interesting thing is that uh, Amy and Bruno actually built the house themselves with um, the help of Bruno's father, Joe Mendez. <laughs> so it's quite touching um, that they spent three and a half years building this house, and it is quite extraordinary. So um, maybe tell me a little bit about your background before we even talk about the house. Where have you yeah, come sure. from? Um, well, initially leaving um, high school, I went on to study interior design at RMIT. Oh, so the connection to yeah. RMIT. Yep. And um, so that was um, was the first course that I did and um, was very much attracted to interior design, who was being, uh, the department was run by uh, John Andrews at the time. And the fine arts component of it really intrigued me. And I always wanted to be an architect, but interior design uh, at that time, the course was very intriguing. Um, and I loved it. I absolutely when you, loved when it. You, Amy, when you said fine art intrigued mm. you, what do you mean? Well, I think the there was obviously this very uh, intent in terms of uh, spatial exploration and what was an interior and questioning what an interior is. Um, and through doing that, there was also uh, how you actually expressed an interior, how you drew it. Um, and for me, that was, uh, that was uh, I don't know, it was, it was very refreshing. And uh, just in terms of how uh, you could... Um, yeah, ex express what an interior was in many ways. And that, uh, rather than it just being a pure um, condition of architecture, that's what intrigued me. So you graduated and went on to... Yeah, well, half, well, partway through the course, I went overseas and studied a year of architecture at Oxford Brookes University. Um, and that? that in the UK... And finished uh, a year over there, did their third year of their BA over there, came back, finished interior design, then decided, yes, architecture it was. So went on and studied architecture at RMIT. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, that's where I met Bruno. And, yeah, so... And you then. went to work for... Yeah, well, I went on, um, went on to work. Um, I actually worked at um, HPA Architects, uh, who were the architects for Mervac. So that was my exposure to large-scale Docklands projects and then went on to uh, work at Sukar, which was very much about the smaller scale and design and detail and, and obviously the connection between um, my original course interiors but dealing with that through architecture and working on architectural projects through her office. So Amy, 
tell us about this amazing mm. house. Oh. It's, it's not it's not the type of house for people who are listening. Yeah, it's not the type of house that has the big columns and the mm. in the on the facade. It's yep. not the grand facade. It's almost it's it's almost a blank facade. Mm. Yeah. It's made of steel, black yep. steel, yep. and painted yep. black. Yep. So you'd almost drive past it without noticing it. Yeah, well, that was very much the intention, was that it contextually um, it needed to sit within the street. And we didn't, uh, we certainly didn't want the, um, I suppose, the presence of a, a second story extension to be um, evident from the street. We very much wanted it to sit within the street, the scale of the street. Um, the condition of blankness, which we refer to, quite often, um, was very much about a tight, narrow street. How do you provide privacy within a house um, that is literally sitting right on the street front? So like a Victorian terrace. Oh, yeah, very much so. Like, I mean, it, I mean, it was a, an original workman's cottage and we, we quite literally formally addressed um, the proportions of the original house um, and simply lifted the roof line so that the second storey could be concealed from the street. But for those who haven't seen it, it is it is a new house. You've, yeah. In a sense, you've suggested a Victorian house mm. by the proportion and scale, mm. but you pull down that old Victorian house. Mm. Um, yeah. Why? Well, well <laughs> for us, um, context is very important and, um, and context and reference to what exists um, within your environment. And to ignore that, I think, is... Um, if it was just inserting a, a, a square box, would not have referred to the, our neighbouring properties or the street or the context of um, the workmen's cottages and the row houses, which for us is very important. Architecture needs to exist within context. So the, in a sense, the silhouette or shadowy uh, facade mm. is slightly evocative of Victorian terrace, but blank. Yep. Steel completely, mm-hmm. steel, black steel yep, front black door, steel. Yep. and a black, you call it a drawbridge window. <laughs> yeah. Well, the front window behind is the same proportions as the original window that existed, but what we put in was almost reflective of the proportions of the front door. And it's a drawbridge that hinges from the base and draws out from the top, so the top section obviously um, draws in light to the front bedroom and for us we we actually lived in the original house for a year prior to demolishing it and so we spent obviously got to know the house got to know how light worked within the the house and realized very quickly that um, you didn't want to be exposed in that front bedroom but you certainly wanted the western light to filter in and so filtering from above allowed for privacy um, but also allowed for curation of natural light. The other thing that's quite um, quirky Mm. is that there isn't even enough I mean how wide is the frontage of the 4.5 4.5 so there's not really enough room to even put the rubbish bin no so (laughs) you and Bruno have decided that instead of a rubbish um, bin container dominating the facade you press a button it actually sinks into the concrete veranda Mm -hmm. and can be elevated when you need it yeah well, this is the problem with these houses. In our site in particular, used to have, in the late 1800s, would have had a right-of-way at the rear of the property um, that would have serviced it. But that through the you know the 70s, basically, we um, have now got a property directly on our boundary on all three sides. So we no longer have a right-of-way or any 
any way into our site other than through the front door. Um, so rubbish bins have become, you know, they're, they're very much a feature of all these houses now because um, there are there is nowhere to store them other than on the front porch. Um, for us, that was devastating, obviously. We spent three and a half years talking about this hole and wanting to obviously conceal them. And, um, yeah, and we followed through when we poured the, the front slab. So. so it's an idea that you could take to... Other terraces. Oh, of course, of course. Is, yeah. So you walk in. You if it, um, you walk in the front door, and mm. immediately, I think the first thing you you really notice is the amount of light coming mm. through because yeah. it's a very shadowy facade. It's very moody, mm. and you walk in, and there's a double height void mm. passage along mm. one side. Yep. So was that intentional to give yeah, you that very much so. dr- drama? Well, it was also about uh, we had a very blank facade and that it literally turns its back on the street. And so the idea was that as soon as you opened that front door, the contrast between what you had experienced on the street versus what the interior actually offers was very important to us. Aside from the fact that the only thing we kept on the site was a palm tree that quite accidentally was always on access with the front door. So part of the idea as well was to capture a full height view of this palm tree, which you would never get in such a tight little house. You'd only ever see the first sort of two and a half, three metres of its initial trunk. Um, So the idea was full height view of the palm tree. And also every space in that house had to have natural light, its own natural light. So that was part of our brief. Um, So the corridor very much is defined sort of one section of the house, which is the corridor, and is an inverted version of what the the workman's cottage is, uh, which is very dark. Um, And so the corridor was inverting that condition, basically. So you walk in, you've got one bedroom on the left, Mm -hmm. and then you walk in, um, a guest bedroom, you'd call it, and then you walk in, um, you built it for your own home, Mm -hmm. um, and you walk in and you've got an extension, which is kitchen, dining, and living area. Mm -hmm. And the roof line, you've designed to suggest the roof line of all the lean-tos that were tacked onto the previous Victorian Mm. terrace. Mm. Fascinating. Yeah, well... I think, once again, this comes back to context. It comes back to what a house needs to be or is. There's one thing which um, it needs to house living and therefore you need to decide how the arrangement of space works. How does light penetrate a space? How do you, in a tight site, how do you gain natural light? But then it also, once again, comes back to context. It comes back to what was originally there. Um, If you're erasing something... Um, it's like taking a photograph. Do you throw it out or do you keep? Do you keep it? And for us, it was very much about keeping a memory of what was there. So to explain more precisely to people who don't quite get the idea, mm. you've actually faceted the ceiling in the mm. kitchen, dining, and living room. It actually starts in the front bedroom, so it runs the full length of the house. And the original house was literally a one-bedroom workman's cottage, and every room had its own roof line, so it had. Uh, one, two, three lean-tos, which was basically the original house, which had its typical pitch. And then we had the dining room, which was one lean-to, the kitchen that was another, a bathroom that was another lean-to, and then out the back was the laundry, which is once again another lean-to. So they were all, I mean, nightmare to drain. I don't know how they, you know, well, it didn't. Um, but 
It was it was taking that diagram quite literally, and what we did was we um, we drew a, a datum line, which was the first floor, which we introduced. And every time that diagram hit the first floor, it would basically invert on itself or mirror itself, and we ended up with an abstraction of what the original lean twos looked like. So that that in itself it takes services in the bathroom, um, from the floor above, um, in the front bedroom. Sorry, so it actually houses some services um, as well as being obviously a memory of what was once there. The other thing that's very interesting about the house is your use of echo panels, mm. which looks like felt. Mm. And yeah. it's, you've literally uh, clad the walls in yep. the hallway in this echo panel, yeah. which are grey, yep. and that extends into the kitchen, mm. cladding the joinery. Yep. So under the stairs, the steel stairs, which mm. are quite exquisite, you've mm. got these um, echo panels mm. that reveal everything from fridge to storage for fruit. <laughs> um, it's a house of ideas. Mm. Is it something that, uh, you know, it was a matter of just having very little space yep. or, or just thinking outside the square? I think there's – well, I think both came into it. I mean, obviously the, the tightness of the site – definitely drove aspects of the brief. But I think for Bruno and I, you approach every project um, with um, a, a series of questions and those questions then become design decisions um, and answers to the way you you go about designing it. Um, certainly the joinery under the stair, yes, every every corner that we've been able to squeeze storage into we have and the underside of the stair is is very much... Yeah, every every element is used under that stair to um, utilise the space. The, uh, so upstairs you've got uh, the main bedroom, mm -hmm. a study area, which is literally a built-in uh, steel bench, mm -hmm. very fine steel bench, powder room or bathroom, mm -hmm. main bathroom or bathroom or ensuite, mm -hmm. and walk-in dressing area. And then you have this exquisite um, use of... Uh, camouflage, mm. which is used to diffuse the light coming mm. in from the skylight. Mm. Where did you get that idea from? Well, I think, um, I mean, you know, typically people use the sail and it's the canvas sail that always gets used. But for us, we wanted something that uh, A, could, A, was cheap. We obviously didn't have, you know, thousands of dollars to spend on a custom-made sail. So you just went to an army So we went to, shop. yeah, we went to the army disposal shop on Russell Street and they had, they came in six metre lengths, which was perfect because that was the length of our... Um, basically our skylight and for us it was about also having a mechanism for diffusing the light as you said you know it's um it's something that actually ends up patterning and randomly because you know camo net isn't a particularly you know it, it comes slightly patterned in a regular way but it's generally quite random um and for us that was important too it didn't we didn't want something precise um with the filtration of light the other thing that um, I find interesting is that when you hear about houses that have been built and designed on a budget, mm. you actually feel sometimes there's been compromises. Mm. The materials look quite cheap or nasty and you think, oh, you know, not that, you know. Mm. And here it's quite the opposite. Everything looks very um, refined and quite sophisticated. Mm. How do you achieve that? 
Um, well, I think that there's a few things that play into that. It's detailing, obviously, and attention to detail, and, and that's something that both Bruno and I are quite passionate about. Um, so actually, how do two parts come together and, and really thinking about that? Um, but I think also... Um, because we have been heavily involved in the construction process, we've actually had to really think about how all of that came together. And, um, I mean, you, you always are on projects, but it doesn't always happen that way in terms of what the detail is and what the outcome is. And you try as hard as you possibly can through the administration process to ensure that it does. Um, and then, obviously the budget factor can uh, influence that as well. But for us, I think it was the hands-on factor, the fact that we were very involved in it, you know, the three of us, Joe, Bruno and I, um, and it was nutting out how we could construct things the way that we wanted them to look. And sometimes that was compromise, but um, it, it was the time we spent to get it right is, I suppose, maybe where it comes into play. I mean, for instance, you know, Bruno spending time getting the, the timber on the floor in that only step that we've got in the front entry hall spent, you know, a, a good weekend ensuring that that all was lining up and mitered beautifully. And that's just through um, him and using his own hands and, and attention to detail and the way that he constructed that. The other thing that's interesting, Amy, is your use of the back garden. It's mm. only a pocket size. Mm. There's not really room for, you know, um, outdoor furniture. Mm. So you've got a built-in, inverted commas, shed, <laughs> which is a bench, and then you open up the bench seat yeah. and it's full of tools and and, um, and then you've got a screen yeah. in angular timber that mm. conceals the barbecue. Is it just a matter of people thinking, uh, you know, thinking differently when they've got such small spaces to work with? Yeah, look, I think, I mean, you could, we obviously had two boilers that we had to conceal um, and the barbecue, which we wanted to conceal as well. I think um, even if we had put up a rectilinear um, screen, it would not have worked and it wouldn't have helped that space feel the way that it does. And in angling it the way we did and then uh, sloping it down where we could, um, it actually assists with how that space makes you feel. It, it feels more open than it probably is. And like you say, it is a, a very tight little space. And it just comes down to the fact that every design move you do, you need to consider it. And I think consideration of all elements rather than forgetting some little elements that might seem minor is a very important part of design. And so for instance there's there's no exposed lighting in the house. No, we've got two we've got about yeah four downlights. <laughs> so everything's yeah. concealed. Everything's concealed. All lighting's concealed and um yeah so that was that was very important to us to have ceilings that obviously have reflected light um, but aren't littered with lights um, and for us it's during the day because the house is so full of light you don't want to have your ceilings littered with light fittings that aren't being utilised. So, I was going to ask you Amy, is when you design obviously mm. you have a free reign in, in terms of designing for something that suits you and Bruno. Mm. How frustrating is it to suggest these ideas to clients? Um, look I think it's Unfortunately, as um, designers and architects, we we can see things very quickly and we know what will work and we um, 
sometimes we might, might get it wrong, but the majority of the time we know what will work and, and how it will feel and what it'll look like. And I think it comes down to, um, and what we were sort of talking about before, it's the communication of it and how you actually communicate that to a client. And sometimes... Uh, there are some clients who are very accepting of it and um, and that's through the relationship that you build up over time. Um, but, uh, yeah, there are a lot of times where a client obviously um, can't say it or doesn't necessarily believe that it's the value of the design decisions are that important. And I think that, that that'll always be an ongoing frustration um, and... But having said that, it's important to keep pursuing to make sure that, you know, these things can happen. And if there's a way of convincing people that, you know, design can be good and can have merit and the and based on people's decisions, then... It yeah. is, in a sense, um, very different from the current approach to architecture at the mm. moment where a lot of the architecture, you know, particularly domestic architecture, is very look at me, look at me, look at me. Mm. In a sense, you're almost going the other way mm. and saying, don't look at me, uh, which is quite refreshing. Mm. Um, it always goes back to the post-war period where architects were actually focusing on the interiors mm. and creating mm. very very modest facades mm. and there was that sense of surprise. Yeah. Is that something that well, you think yeah, about? Well, Adolf Loos was, you know, that was... He was quite remarkable at doing that. And, and Bruno and I often refer to Alvaro Caesar as well and just in terms of his clarity um, as well in terms of how he defines his interiors. And uh, I think this project probably has also been um, born very much as a strong interior as well based on its site constraints. And I think that that um, has really ensured that that interior had to work over time um, to to basically um, allow people to enjoy the house and enjoy the site because the site um, being so contained and you needed to have an aspect out um, and so that's hence all the skylights the use of skylights and um, Amy you know living and working with mm. an architect and doing something as personal as your own mm. house who how does the dynamics work do you suggest something and then bruno you know yeah, knocks yeah, it on the head yeah or... we we often talk about this because um in essence it's whoever wins the argument we know is the best idea so we're convinced then that that's the right way to go um so yeah i mean we do um we have a very similar style and we obviously have you know there's a um you know there's a reason why we've come together um through architecture um but no we we definitely thrash out ideas and like i say whoever Whoever wins, we're both convinced then that's the right way to move forward. So, yeah. Um, Amy, this house is going, it's been shortlisted for the national awards. Mm. So that's exciting for yeah, you. Yeah, it's a great compliment. It's very nice. <laughs> what else are you working on at the moment? Um, well, working on um, just finishing off uh, with car design, actually. Um, just uh, the Royal the extension of the Royal South Yarra Lawn Tennis Club. Um, and then Bruno and I are just picking up little bits and pieces um but yeah so it's now i suppose mule mendez was only really established this year um and so we are we're about to sort of head off to portugal to go and sort of enjoy some wonderful buildings over there and some wonderful architecture and then come back to melbourne and get on with it and what what type of 
work do you want to do when you return? Well, I think both of us have always been um, very interested in that sort of mid-scale building um, typology. And I think, um, you know, examples like um, the tennis club, is they're lovely little building types. And Bruno's been working on a lot of um, uh, institutional work and they're, they're for lovely. Woods for Woodsbaggett. For yeah. And so they're, they're um, I mean, that scale of, of project is a very lovely, manageable scale. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's those are the sort of, you know, scaled projects that we enjoy working on. Amy, do you think we've kind of, uh, we've become a little bit lost at the moment with architecture that we think something large and substantial is, you know, is worth pursuing and little projects tend to get ignored? I mean, this is a case that hasn't been Mm. ignored because it's gone through the nationals, but generally people, you know, houses are getting larger. They're not getting more efficient. Yeah, it's, it's... It's a very interesting, because this is the the old debate with architecture. I think, unfortunately, in when it, when we're talking about the residential realm, and um, there it comes down to economy and people's perception of what the architect does, and the perception that an architect is too expensive to engage and can only engage an architect to assist if you have a certain budget and certain scale of house that you're wanting to design. Obviously, um, that's not. I mean, I'm I'm generalising enormously, but I think that there is um, there is a unfortunately there's still this perception that an architect is too expensive to afford, um, and that has its problems within itself. And I think for all of us, it's it's still a, a fairly um, depressing thing to see these suburbs that are just that it, you know keep <laughs> keep pushing out our boundary our melbourne boundary and what's being produced and this notion of sustainable architecture and you know what what achieves a five star rating or six star rating and you know the number of bicycles that you have you know can you can tick those boxes and you can forget about doing some Do other you- things i mean there's you know i just there's all these little contradictions that I think are going on at the moment in the built environment, which um, have good intentions. But uh, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how that starts working itself out. Um, and that yeah, that goes across it many is, scales of projects. The other That's, thing is, it is also very difficult explaining uh, these type of houses to mm. a wider public because you know to them. A house should look like a house. Mm. It shouldn't look mm. like a blank facade. <laughs> so to say to someone, look, you're not getting a window, yeah. <laughs> you, the door's going to disappear into the facade yeah. and you'll probably miss it and your friends won't know where it is, that's difficult to understand. Mm. Um, yeah, look, I think um, this is the thing, is that your work will only be, you know, there might only be point zero 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 percent of the population who might want that or be attracted by that but unfortunately this is the problem being obviously a designer an architect you develop over time a particular way of seeing things and I suppose to stay true to yourself you need to keep pursuing that and um, yeah it's it's I I don't know how how else you can kind of justify it really but that's that's, you have to be true. You have to be true to yourself. And if you're not, well, then you, the work's not going to produce and it won't. <laughs> well, look, thank you so much, Amy, for coming in today. Oh, and um, it was one of those houses that um, 
really, look, it, it resonated with me for for many, many days afterwards. And I kept telling people, I've seen the most extraordinary house. And even <laughs> just when I thought, you well, know, architecture isn't going anywhere, I see yeah. this house and I think, wow. And um, so, look, I, I hope we get to see more blank houses. No. Uh, <laughs> but I'm not sure. But um, I'm, I'm looking forward to your next project. Yeah, thanks, and, I'll be following with interest yeah. um, your oh, career you because much. I think it's um, it's going places mm. and it's not just me. The jury obviously warmed to your project and I think it is the unexpected. Oh. And I think that's what architecture is. It's about mm. seeing things that you're not expecting, mm. not something like another glass box. So have a great time overseas. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and uh, look forward to um, hearing more from um, Muir Mendez. Oh, thanks, Stephen. You've been listening to Talking Design with Stephen Crafty and thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm.